Well, I wonder what comes to mind when you hear the words giving money. Maybe it's the picture of someone begging in the street. Maybe it's the images of crisis appeal adverts on television. Maybe it's the knock at the door from a charity worker. Maybe it's an offering plate being passed down your row of pews in an old church building. Each of those examples might give you that awkward, uncomfortable, uneasy feeling. But what is it that would cause you to give money in each of those situations? There's two common reasons that people give. The first is when we see great need. We give because there are good things that need to get done, like giving money to humanitarian aid after a natural disaster, or giving money to a family who can't afford to feed their children. You might give to a cause like that because you see the need is great. But there's a danger that when we see great need, our overriding emotion is one of guilt. I feel so guilty that that I've got lots of money and they haven't. So I'm going to give it away. Second common feeling is one of obligation. We give because we kind of think it's the right thing to do. We're supposed to. Like giving money to a good friend when they do a, a charity event. Or or putting money in a collection bucket as it's being shaken in front of you. You might give in a situation like that because there's some kind of obligation. And the danger is your overriding emotion is one of duty. I kind of have to give my money to that because I know it's the kind of right thing to do. You'll see many adverts on telly of charities that that target emotive responses that that make you feel either guilty or dutiful not all but plenty a few years ago i was in durham for the week at the university mission week i was visiting some uh, friendly sports people and doing various things through the week and one of the things i was doing was walking up and down the high street seeking to start conversation with students about jesus Anyway, a little bit further up the street, there was a charity worker collecting money for the Dogs Trust. And everyone that came my way was already a little bit disgruntled because they'd they'd already been collared, excuse the pun, by the guy from the Dogs Trust. So I thought, what can I do? I'll go to the other side of this guy. So I catch them first. But... I had this horrible moment as I went to walk past him of, I don't really know what to do as he starts to make a conversation with me, feeling a bit guilty that I was doing really similar to him, but actually I just desperately wanted to ignore him. And at the same time, I felt some kind of duty to be polite and respectful. You might know that I'm not wildly keen on dogs. So It was pretty bizarre that I engaged with him in quite a long conversation, ended up walking away from this conversation, having donated to the Dogs Trust. 
all because of this kind of mixed up dutiful guilt. It's stupid. You can imagine afterwards that that evening driving back down to Bista from Durham and my overriding feeling was resentment. I resented the fact that I'd given money to the Dogs Trust. Well, let me say from the outset this evening, I don't expect God's word to bring an overriding feeling of guilt or duty this evening. When it comes to Christian giving, I think what we'll see in the New Testament paints a far more exciting picture of Christian giving. Not one of guilt or duty, and certainly not one that causes resentment. The New Testament presents different motivations for giving. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 3 tells us that if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. You see how that's completely the opposite to much of this world's giving? In God's eyes, the value of the gift comes not from how badly it's needed, certainly not from the amount of the monetary value, but from whether or not I give in love. God doesn't want us to give money with resentment. Of course he doesn't. He doesn't desperately need our stuff. Give for the wrong reasons and what you've done is of no value at all. We read in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7 that God loves a cheerful giver. Well, I wonder if that's true of many fundraising campaigns around the world do they actually care about how you feel about how you give your money maybe but it's the cheerful giver who pleases god there's nothing like giving because you have to it's nothing like that it's the opposite of resentful duty obligation and need, they don't factor prominently in the New Testament's teaching about giving. Instead, we see things like opportunity and joy, God's glory and reward. And that's an important place for us to start this evening as we think about money and giving money, because it tells us that first and foremost, God cares about our heart. And so we could get all wrapped up in the talking about the process and the percentage and and all of those details but if we do that first we're missing the point god cares about our hearts but how we handle our money is a good barometer of how our heart is doing well how does the way we handle money give us an indicator of our heart Look at Matthew 6. In verse 21, Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our hearts naturally follow our treasure. If you spend all your money on a posh new car, you think about how it looks. You try to keep it clean. You're forced to park in the corner of a car park so that no one will hit it. You think about whether it's safe, whether it might get stolen how it looks. It's your treasure. And so it, it quickly becomes, begins to consume you. Think about Smeagol in Lord of the Rings. 
he's so treasured the one ring that it consumed him. It became his precious. He could think of nothing else. He treasured it and so it won his heart. If what you what's most precious to you of most value is here and now, your heart will be most concerned with what is here and now. Just think if you start to build up sums of cash in a savings account, it doesn't take long before you keep checking back to the mobile app, checking how much there is, how much interest is coming in. You dream about it. You start thinking about how you might be able to spend it. And suddenly you've got your heart set on all these plans with this growing amount. Our hearts naturally follow our treasure. But if you give and live such that the most of your treasure is waiting for you in heaven, that's where your heart will be. Laying up treasure in heaven is one of the Bible's arguments for why we should give. It protects our hearts from becoming overly attached to the things of this world. In the parable of the rich fool that Jesus tells in Luke 12, God says to the man, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. See, we can have all the treasure in the world, but in that one moment, it will all be taken away. When we stand before God, there will be one treasure that is of any worth, and that is Jesus and his promises to us in how he is able to make us rich before God. Put your treasure in heaven and your heart will follow. That's how Matthew 6 acts as a, a barometer on our affections of our heart. What does God, what does how you handle your money say about your heart? God asks us to give because he wants our hearts. He wants your desires and dreams, affections, ambitions to be built on him and his promises. Not on the things of this world that will rust, decay, be stolen, disappoint, disappear. God wants the best for us. Ask yourself, what do I treasure? What do I tend to daydream about? What fears bother me? What kind of goals do I set for myself? What mistakes do I most regret? What do I most often talk about? I don't know if you've ever thought about investing in stocks and shares. I had a brief uh, think about it while at university as some of my friends uh, began to invest. It's quite interesting, but uh, a minefield, I'm sure, at the same time. I heard an interview uh, on the radio the other day. It was a man who became involved in investing uh, through lockdown in what he believed to be an investment website. 
He was using this portal that would give him daily reports on how his investments were going, whether he'd uh, lost or uh, gained money. He was plowing his life savings in and he even persuaded his son to get involved until he decided enough was enough. He'd got to a sizable fee and he was going to cash out. And then it became clear. It was an elaborate fraudulent website. He lost all his life investment. All of those savings down the drain. His bank couldn't retrieve the funds and he was being interviewed live on national radio. But in his interview, as I listened, what I was most interested by was this one sentence. If I got every penny of my life savings back, it wouldn't cover my investment. As I sat and I thought, I listened again. If I got every penny of my life savings back, it wouldn't cover my investment. Because where your money is, there your heart will be also. It's an investment, not just of money, but of time and emotions. It's an investment of the heart. Well, Matthew 6, verse 20 tells us, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. What does an investment like that look like? What is an investment that doesn't do those things? In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says, and I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. See what Jesus is saying to Peter? It's like God whispering in your ear in 1890, invest in the automobile. Or in 1990, invest in the internet. Or in 2019, invest in Zoom. In Matthew 16, Jesus is telling the apostles, invest in the church because this one's going to last. Because we're talking about a kingdom that will last forever. Because Jesus says, I will build my church. Jesus himself institutes the local church as the place where God's people represent Christ and his rule on earth. The church, it gathers in his name. The church exists that we would treasure Christ. So when we come to trust in Jesus, we come to love the church. And where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, by recognising that the local church is where God causes people to be, it will be the thing that we invest in as we seek to exalt Christ and treasure him. We'll, we'll um, prioritise our time, our effort, our energy, our money. We'll invest those things in the church, not because of need, not because of duty, but because we really treasure it. And so the New Testament repeatedly calls for Christians to give to their local church. And there'll be plenty of other brilliant things that we can give our money to. And throughout the New Testament, the pattern is that those local gatherings will give money to worthy causes. But Jesus says, 
the church will prevail against every scheme. So Town Church Bista does not need your money. God's global church does not need your money. It's not at a crowdfunding stage. It's not looking for a £10,000 cash injection for a 0.1 stake in its business. It will prevail. But if we treasure Christ and build treasures in heaven, we will invest in the local church because it's the best thing for us and it's the place where we seek to exalt Christ. And if Town Church Bister is your family, then the things that you value is the things that we value as a church. That's what they are. They are values, the things that we value. So it's the most natural thing to want to give your money toward those things because giving money to the church is giving money to the things we value. Where does our money go as a church? Well, it goes to the things we really value. It goes to paid hours of handling God's word because we prioritize it. It goes to buying books and resources for our church that point us to the truth in God's word. It goes to putting on events where we seek to reach people with the good news of the gospel. It goes to sending money to the poor and needy in our locality. It goes to sending money further afield in works that share the gospel. It goes to the regular running of activity where the church cares for one another. It goes to the running of regular activity where the church prays together. It goes for the time it takes to administrate all those things. Our money, our money, goes towards the things that we value. Our money goes towards the thing we're convinced the Bible says we, sh we should prioritise. And so... Our money as a church, that is, of course, God's money given to us, is making an investment. What practical advice, then, does the Bible give, us about, give us about how to give joyfully to the local church? Well, Paul gives some practical advice, but I think he gives it. In light of how we measure our hearts, I think this proverb summarises how the practicalities really help us. Proverbs 4, verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. We're going to see two practicalities from Paul that really what they do is help us check our hearts and everything that comes from it. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16. Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian church to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Two things for us. First, be organised. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money be organised, plan, think. Being organised in that way shows what we treasure. When we're willing to give the first portion of our wealth that God has given us back to him, it shows where our hearts are. It's clear that God has our hearts. 
Have you got a new job? What's the implication for your money? Have you got a pay rise? What's the implication for my budget? Paul says on the first day of each month, set aside money. It's deliberate. It's planned. They're practicalities. It makes sense for us if we get a monthly salary to set up standing orders on the day after that money comes into our account. And see, as soon as we talk about the practicalities, there's such a danger that it becomes dutiful, a tick box activity. It becomes law. But you see, we can be planned so that when we spend our money, when we think about the money God's given us, we check our hearts. It shows us where our hearts are, what we treasure, what we value. I think this is a good case for having a budget, for knowing what we set aside to live off in food and travel and holiday and things in our regular lives. It's an act of worship to sit down ahead of a new month and and look at our budget and to consciously spend the money that God's given us for his glory in all kinds of ways. Spending money on chairs for the kitchen table because the old ones are battered and we've been given the money and we'll enjoy God's provision as a family as we sit down and eat. To invest money on a membership of a group because the friendships that I get there are really valuable and important and I can enjoy God there. Spending more on a weekly shop this week to get stuff for a barbecue to invite friends from church over. Whatever it is, whatever the details of of that spending, it's planned, it's organised, it's a conscious decision. And it's a reflection of what we really value. It, It checks our heart. So it's worth continually asking the question, am I placing too much value on that? Am I at risk of treasuring this? Paul doesn't say, get to the end of the month, the day before payday, and whatever you've got left, I'll just whack it over to the church. He says, on the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money. Be deliberate. Be planned in checking your heart. Second, give as a proportion of your income. It says on the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. If you earn a tiny amount of money, give a portion of that tiny amount. If you earn a vast sum of money, give a portion of that vast sum because every penny of that sum, vast or tiny, is God's and is given to you by him. And maybe you're wondering, well, what proportion of of my income should I give? Well, only you'll know yourself by consistently planning and letting God show you how you approach your money and how that exposes your heart what to give but if you're if you're thinking about this for the very first time and you're thinking I've got no idea well the old testament gives the specific figure of 10% to God's people in in law and while that law might not stand for us now the principles still stand and are really helpful it may well be that you could budget for far more than 10% because whether your household income is 18,000 or 100,000, a bowl of porridge or, or whatever it is that you eat for breakfast, it doesn't suddenly cost a different amount. 
if you're spending a greater greater amount of money on things, it's a decision to do so. And that might be a really good decision, if conscious, but an unconscious decision or a lack of decision to give the same percentage or to keep giving the same amount, it's not a decision. Is there a good reason to shop in M&S rather than Aldi now that you've got a pay rise? Is there a good reason to get a second car? Is there a good reason to upgrade the house? Is there a good reason to get a swimming pool? There, there may well be good honouring, good God-honouring decisions to do those things. So to treasure our treasure those things and not check our hearts and let our hearts be consumed. So maybe you've always given 10% on the door, not for anything else. Or maybe you've always given £50 exactly, not for anything else. And in the last year, you've got another salary coming into the house, or you've got a pay rise, or you've got rid of a significant expense. Have you thought about where that additional money is going? Have you thought about how you could use that money for God's glory? How does where that money is going show what you treasure? What's Paul telling us? That the conscious decision of carefully handling money can be of worship to God. It, it, it checks our heart. Really practical questions to help us. Do you have a budget? Do you have a process for regularly adapting your giving? Do you have a conversation with someone you share a budget with? Do you let someone hold you accountable to how you spend your money? And these things, they can so quickly become conversations of duty or guilt so quickly. But, but doing these things, having these conversations, we can do them so that we'll have joy in the Christian life. Remember, God cares about our heart. And so it's a, a real challenge for us to talk about it to be honest with one another about where we're in danger of treasuring other things. But maybe, maybe if you're unwilling to review or you're unwilling to talk or unwilling to give, then that should be a warning sign about what it is that you treasure. A few years ago, the government of India declared all 501,000 rupee notes null and void. The Guardian website wrote this in a surprise television address on Tuesday night. Modi, I think is how you might pronounce it, said the demonetization of India's highest value banknotes worth about six and 12 pounds would start from midnight, something like four hours after the announcement. The move is an, eff an effort to close down the booming economy of untaxed cash transactions, which allow corruption, funding of terrorist groups, and keeps counterfeit notes in circulation. Can you imagine that moment? You hear that all the cash in your wallet or stacked up under a bed or in a drawer somewhere of no value after midnight. You'd have absolutely no concern about rushing out and spending it, investing in, it, in something that would have value beyond midnight. You have no difficulty making that decision whatsoever. In the same way, God's gifted to us resources, money 
that will have zero value when we die. So will we invest our hearts in something that lasts? Will we handle God's money for his glory? And will we be checking our hearts for what we treasure? Will we treasure Christ? 